less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor. Deep dive. Well, we were talking last week about uh, some hiring difficulties, and it just keeps growing. Um, the Great Resignation has mm-hmm. hit the University of Oklahoma. Oh. <laughs> what Lincoln. happened over there? <laughs> uh, Lincoln Riley's gone. You're kidding. Not kidding. You knew that. I mean, what do you think? Are, you, are we going to figure it out? Well, we, you mean his replacement? I mean, Bob Stoops is interim, right? Yeah, yeah, we'll figure it out. Okay. I mean, oh, there's always that danger. Nebraska is one, and who's the other? I mean, I uh, can't remember the other. Well, even USC is one. You lose a really good coach, and you can fall into the doldrums. And if you don't get it right, you can go two decades yep. and not be who you were. I don't think that's going to happen here. Yeah. Do you have a, anybody you're rooting for? Yeah, I am, but he's the wrong choice. He won't be it, but I like Brent Venables. Why is he the wrong choice? Uh, Well, I've always thought about him. He's kind of a wild man. They have an employee at the games at Clemson that is there to grab him by his belt and pull him back off the field. (laughs) And I'm not sure what sort of administrator he would be, but the people who played for him absolutely love him. And heard Curtis Lofton, who was a – Linebacker. Yeah. On being interviewed the other day, and he, he said, I hated him. But he said, I was my third year as a pro, and I was in a film room teaching these guys how to break down film. And it occurred to him the only reason he knew how to do that it's because of was Brent. Brent Venables. Wow. And he called him up and he said, Coach, I got two things to say. He said, First, I've always hated you, but I love you, man. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the kind of guy you want, you know. Yeah. But if you have a bunch of tender feeling prima donnas, playing for you, then we might have to start all over. So yeah. I don't know what it's going to look like taking all the players. I mean, he, he, he didn't do it right, in my opinion. There there's always can be things – there can always be things that – there are things yeah. I don't know about. Yeah. But still, he, he left uh, and he gutted the program, and he's been talking to him since September, and this is December 3rd. Wait, he's been talking to USC since September? Oh, yeah. First contact with September. Oh, I didn't there. know that. I mean, I'm, I'm reading – you know, is it true? I don't know. Fake news, but yeah, a number of trips out there recruiting, you hey. know, and then uh, uh, he canceled several practices. I mean, it listed this thing I read listed the practices he had he had canceled. So it's and, been in the making for a lot longer than they thought. Yeah, and and it was distracted. We know that. If you're thinking about your new job and stuff, you're not coaching the way you you know. Yeah. You, there's not a single purpose. Yeah, which is something we'll be talking about today, having a purpose for what you're doing. So I, I think the erratic play that we saw from Oklahoma this year could easily be due to erratic coaching. Coaching. That's yeah. interesting to think about. You know, I think uh, what what the most difficult thing for OU is that it feels like they were almost held hostage. Their coaches yeah. are gone. Their players are leaving. Their really best, re- you know, the, the reason why a lot of the players come to OU has been Lincoln Riley, and now he's gone, and now it's like, oh, who? What's our identity? Right. We hire Brent as a defensive coach. Now <laughs> we've been offense <laughs> right. for the past five, seven years. Uh, um, so with that being said, I think there's a lot of correlations to business with things being held hostage, right? Where if one person leaves your team, now right. things you're are, in are, you're in trouble. Um, and I, I want to, I, I know that's something that we've both had conversations with, um, with people recently, but I mean, 
where do you see business owners being held hostage sometimes by either systems that they have or, you know, a vendor maybe, or a client or even more importantly, an employee? Yeah, that, that's a good point. And I think this is another in a series of things that have come up in the last week, or at least right. since we last had a podcast. And that's one of them. Um, I just have had it with several people. Um, hostage is when your company is dependent on on a person rather than a process or a system. Right. And that's one of the reasons we always talk about building a system-driven business. Mm-hmm. You'll always have people who are really good at running your systems that you would hate to lose, but they can't be business-threatening. Uh, host- and hostage isn't always because somebody's really good at what they do. I've had three <laughs> in the last, um, well, in the last week, I've had conversations with three. One of them was a person who had a son-in-law working in the business mm. who basically was an alcoholic and did pretty underperforming, as you might imagine. Yeah. And you can't just dismiss that person. Why? Because of grandchildren. They're held hostage to the grandchildren. Mm. If I fire this guy, then their family's going to go blow up and I'm not going to be able to see the grandkids. So that's when you never think, you're not going to talk about that at business school, but there you go. What do, Family what do you business do 101. That? That's one. Have another uh, where the owner of the business happens to be pregnant and is going to have a baby any day, probably before this uh, Airs. podcast comes out, and is going to take six weeks off, which is not too much. I mean, obviously. And yeah. she had hired a manager to come in and run her sales team. And he's capable, but what he is incapable of is showing up at work on time. <laughs> I mean, not one-tenth of the time does he show up. Sure. And we had talks and all. He's, the, the most important thing of that, you could accommodate somebody's hours, mm-hmm. you know, work a little later, come come later, work later, get your work done, that kind of thing. But this guy's in a position to be an example for the whole team. Yeah. Everybody knows they start at 8.30 and he comes trotting in at 9.45. Mm-hmm. And he kind of has my client in hostage because she can make a move right now and just dismiss him, but then she'll be back to work three days after the baby's born. And so that's another kind of hostage. Yeah. Uh, third kind of hostage is, and we'll talk more about software later on, but I've had a number of clients over the year and talked to one this week who have software that they developed for their businesses mm-hmm. and they had a person who developed it and it gets pieced together and oh wouldn't it be nice to have this feature and over the years and you've got one person who knows how to run it and i had a client uh, a number of years ago and they were a data company so i mean everything it it was all software that was their product not only how they operated that was their product and it was built on a software called ruby on rails which Mm -hmm. i had never heard of you're laughing like maybe you've heard of it yeah and the guy who built that absolutely ran that joint. Nope, not going to do that. Yep, nope. Yes you got, no. I mean, it was just like, oh, my God. Yep. And so the point to people listening is, um, in all three of those circumstances, the hostage part means there's a price to pay to make a change. Yep. And you need, well, the first thing to do is not allow that to happen. I mean, cut it. Recognize, recognize it quick. Yeah, recognize it quickly. And it's, you might not recognize it in the person that they're going to blackmail you. 
Mm -hmm. uh, they wouldn't say they were, but that's what they're doing. But try to have two developers working on it. Stay in the current software that you can hire people off the market who know how to run. I'm not exactly Fast Island that, that can run Oracle. Yeah, you know, or something like that. Some non um, yeah non packaged. You know, one reason I I tell people to use QuickBooks. Uh, whenever they can, is that there are at least 50 million people in the United States who know how to use QuickBooks. Exactly. Probably 100 million. And if they need to learn it, they can. There's... Yeah, and they, I mean, and they support it. Yep. It's just not, you're not ever going to be dependent on somebody who knows how to run that software uh, because you can find replacements. But recognize the potential for that. And then, as with the client whose son-in-law is the problem, you need to decide. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're going to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm not going to tolerate this. Yeah. And maybe we can find clever ways around it. Maybe you just sell the company, but that it, it's just messing everything up and we're in a quandary and there isn't an easy way out there. There needs to be, this is what I stand for. Yeah. I, I have to tell you a story in world war two. Sorry. I digress. No, go ahead. But in world war two, everybody thinks we ended the war with Japan because of the atomic bomb. And that, those were the dates. But what we did for months before that was firebomb. We, B-29s flew north and south, east and west, in north and south on the other side and west to east, and dropped incendiary bombs. And, and I mean, it's terrible, terrible, terrible. But that's, they just burned Tokyo and they just burned the cities. It was terrible. But in reading about that, Japanese fire squads had a guy called the flagman and they rotated. And when they went to a fire, he went out, took the company banner, banner and stood at that point and said, the fire will go no further. And he couldn't leave. If it did, it burned him up. Whoa. So you have to, that's a little bit dramatic, but you have to stake a, stake a flag and say, you know what? This is going to be tough. This is uncomfortable. I don't know how I'm going to get through it, but I'm not going to take this. Otherwise, it's a life of the client I'm talking about has been miserable for a long time. Mm -hmm. And you just you just need to decide, I'm not going to take this anymore. Stick that flag and say, we're yeah. going to burn or we're going to fix it. And you'll fix it. Mm -hmm. And I, I think there's some people out there that may think, oh, I'm, I'm not held hostage by any of my employees or I'm not held hostage by any of my clients, uh, vendors, anything like that. And they still don't have systems and processes. Right. They're still running everything. And the reality is you're holding the business hostage. You're holding it hostage by not creating right. the system so that it can run on its own. You are the bottleneck. And sooner than later, it's going to hit you. Look at coronavirus. Look at what's happening with supplies. Pe people aren't able to get things from their vendors. And vendors are saying, okay, we're going to take care of the people that we can. And we want to take care of the biggest accounts that really bring us a lot of money and that we know are going to stay busy and not go under. So now, if you're not the biggest you know, customer of that supplier, you're not going to get right. a lot of materials. And you're seeing it happen. I mean, you also see people that are just resigning and employees trying to hold the company hostage with, hey, I know you're not going to find anybody. I need a raise. Yeah. Right. It, it's happening right now. Go and create the systems. We talked about a training program last week. Create something that you're going to be able to, you know, replicate and not have to rely on the top talent to only do, but you're going to be able to train people to right. do. Um, it, it's, it's just a, a very difficult place to be in and it's a it's a reason to diversify as well well you did you did bring up one thing i want to emphasize a little bit i'm, I'm talking about an internal hostage taking 
Yeah. Uh, external is customer concentration. Yeah. If you're getting more than 20% of your business from one customer, mm-hmm. you're in potential big trouble. Oh, yeah. And I could tell stories, but I won't spend the day doing that, of people who thought, oh, boy, I got in Walmart. <laughs> right? Um, there was, well, I, I just have to say, people say, wow, I got in Walmart. I'm going to get mm-hmm. all this distribution. I can tell everybody that. Well, the next year, Walmart says, 20% less or you're out. Yeah. What? And literally know someone that has that going on right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the modus operandi for Walmart. And so uh, customer concentration. So I think maybe the takeaway from the hostage thing is, is look around and see where those threats are. That if you lost this person, if you lost that customer, what would the effect be? And decide whether or not you're going to tolerate that. Yeah. And then build the systems and processes, double two people can do that job, things like that. Yeah. If you're really, really small and you've got three people who, people who work for you, you know, that's, you know, there you go. But, yeah. but be aware and then do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. You had mentioned uh, software, mm-hmm. um, how that was kind of an area where someone's getting held hostage. And I think there's a lot to consider when you're in a situation like that. You're obviously trying to, okay, how can we get out of this software into a new one that we can have someone else figure out? Because when you custom code any software, it's a, it's a language. And if that's the person that knows that language and how it was written, right. how the book was written, you really need that person to run it. You can't find someone else. They've got to go and study the language that it was written in and how it was developed and yeah. the structure of the logic. I mean, you need an architect, you, so you need a plan, you need to yeah. understand what it is and what it does. And the majority of small businesses shouldn't be doing that with software. Right. They really should. There are Just so many package. options available out you, out there today that are on the cloud. You don't need a server that can help you host it and that can scale with you. They don't have to have the you know everything up front. It's not exactly the same, but it's one of the things that came up this week is I have a client, I have a client who's in the process of trying to change over. Yep. Okay. So, Wow. Right. Yeah. And this company's forty years old. Of course, they haven't been on software for that long because yeah, but it's but, been for a long time. But for a long time, and they're trying to optimize and change over, and it's just a massive job. Yeah. But I have another client who did that, got it done. Mm-hmm. Found one. Uh, it's a property management company, so he had one software, you know, comprehensive software that yep. did all the things that are unique to property management and found another one that was better and he actually pulled it off Mm -hmm. i mean it's like wow i'm just going well it's getting easier and easier these days if you think if you think about it there's software companies out there that their whole strategy is finding people on another software and trying to get them to come to theirs and so they create they make the migration a seamless process and i i don't doubt what you say you know what you're talking (laughs) about but it can be it's well, even if I'm it's done it quote, seamlessly, mm-hmm. it, the, when you get into the nuts and bolts, you know, well, how come this, that number says that? And why doesn't this work? And where do I find that? Yeah. And how do I transfer all that over? It's, it's quite an undertaking. But that's another one where you have the courage if you need to do it, you need to do it. Mm-hmm. And, of course, following our delegate it, try to get somebody, somebody else to do it for you. But it can't be a unique skill that nobody else could do. Yeah, for sure. I mean, whenever you're considering that software and potentially migrating, there's a lot of things that I would consider that people don't. You know, they're they're worried about this one individual that's maybe owned the software or whatever it is, uh, and they're trying to migrate in this situation. But when you're considering any of that software, there's 
there's some things that you need to realize. One, it is good to have someone that's responsible for the software, not that can hold it hostage, but there's someone that's going to hold us people accountable to the software. Because reality is when you're, when you're choosing software for a company, what you're really dealing with is behavior change, not, okay, what are the features? Yes. All that stuff matters. But at the end of the day, you're trying to get your team to use that software or your customers to use that software, however, whatever the, the process is. And what you're going to run up against is, oh, we've never done it that way. That's not how we do it. Oh, I don't, I don't like being on the computer. Oh no, that's, that's, that's too difficult. It doesn't fit my, my process right now. You've got to change that behavior. And in order to change that behavior, you've got to show a lot of benefit. You've got to have a really good system and clear training on how to use it. And you've got to keep those people accountable to changing that behavior. And that is very, very difficult. You're not dealing with tech at that point. You're dealing with people and people are a lot harder than tech. We have a mutual client who was on a couple of weeks ago, Jeff Finney. Yeah. And he bought a company. He uses one software and the company he bought makes the same things he does, but used another software. Mm -hmm. All their sales guys and their engineers and everybody use that software. Yep. Well, he said, we're moving over and he set a date out in the future. Um, when a new machine arrived, we're going to be changed over, right? Coming from China. Well, it's arrived, but I don't know, two months ago, three yeah. months ago, you probably know about this, his server crashed mm -hmm. and they lost the old software all at once. So they had a, I mean, that's the rip the bandaid off <laughs> guys. It's starting today. Starting today. Yeah. And so sometimes, sometimes that's the way to do it. And, so, and yeah, that, that's the only this option. Day, that, that, <laughs> that old software turns off. Yep. Exactly. I, I think. You know, as you talk about, as we talk about behavior change with software, that's why it's really important that you find the right software because right. nothing is worse than finding a bad fit software and getting everybody to try to change a behavior to fit that and then it not go well. You've got to find the right fit. And that's, people don't focus on that enough. They think they do, but what they you really know, focus on. I think we need to do an episode in the future of how to do that. We say find the right software. Thank you very much. Talk to you next week. No, there is a I short. Mean, I did a 25 minute short, I believe. Okay. It's not really a short at that point, but uh, yeah. on how to choose the right software for your company. It's not all the questions because every situation is different and there's so many different types of software, but it can get you there. I just think the big thing is don't sit there and look at the monthly price and determine your decision solely based off the monthly price. Go and, and do a demo of it. Start a trial of it. Get some, get a consultant in there, go through a, you know, a, a demo with someone at the team and tell them your specific use cases for the software, not what the features they have. And they're trying to sell you. No, Hey, I need this. Does it do this specifically? Show me how that's what is really going to help you see if it's a good fit. Right. And you know what? Like we're talking to a company right now and they're on a software that's very capable, but it's not meeting all of their needs. And they've been a small company in the past and they've exploded. You know, we're talking maybe used to be 30 employees now, almost 200, right? Much, much bigger, different set of challenges, different set of systems that they need and their software needs are different. And while they could stick with the existing software, it's probably not going to cut it. The fit isn't there. It's fit for the 30 person team, not the 200 person team. And when you're talking about moving to a software that's capable of, of something that size, yeah, you're going to pay more for it. And if you're stuck on the price, you're never going to find the right software that's going to meet your needs. You need to think of the software as something that can make you more efficient and almost like hiring another employee to keep you organized. I mean, a good software can easily replace a person, right? And when you're at that size to have 
a software that can do that for you is massive, right? And it's just something that you have to consider is what's the fit, not necessarily just the price. Does it, oh, I don't want to pay the monthly well, per user. You may include this in, in your definition of what's the fit, but I see, as a coach, I see all kinds of softwares. I used to think, oh, I need to know. I can't. You can't. I, I, I just absolutely can't. And the trouble I have when I, when software vendors call me and want me to promote <laughs> their, is they give me que answers to questions I haven't asked. Okay. Well, this will talk to that and this, and then they use terms, you know, islands of information in community. And I, I, you know, I know what an island of information is. Got your customer database over here. You have your invoicing over here and you have to enter the names, right? Yeah. But if the better the idea you can have of what you want, I think I'm yeah. echoing what you just said. Yeah. Uh, and then you go ask for that rather than just listening to the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I, we will go, I'm going to talk about what you want in a second, but um, the, the last thing is like, if you're the owner of the business making this decision, go and get some counsel. Don't just do it yourself. Get counsel from your team, the leaders on your team so that they can be bought in. Go get counsel from different software companies, from anybody who's going to help you implement that software, from other companies in the industry that you know, that you're you know friends with or their peers and you've met at an industry trade show, whatever. Figure out what they're using, what's working for them. And then have somebody on your team that's going to have ownership of this, not the situation where they're the one who coded it and they're the only one who knows it. No, they're going to be the one that double checks everyone's actually using it. Yeah. They're going to be the one that knows that the information inside of it's accurate and actually being used. Have someone that that's their responsibility on team. You, at the beginning, it may be that that's an additional role that you're throwing on top of maybe your office manager or HR person. I don't know what the software is, but maybe someone's going to have the extra role in the future as you get bigger and bigger there needs to be someone that that is their main role is knowing that if if the software is that crucial to your opportunity we're talking about a field management software for a, a, a hvac company they are they need to be scheduling they need to be dispatching they need to be doing uh keeping a track record of every single property's assets that are on the property and when the last time it was serviced for the last 10 20 years I mean, that stuff is so valuable. Phone calls, intake process, all inside of one software. Yeah, have one person on the team that that's their responsibility because it's going to make everybody's life easier. But, so, make, but make sure they, they can't hold you hostage. Exactly. That, well, but if that's the thing. If you're choosing a good software out there, yeah, you can hire somebody. You can hire somebody that knows it or that can be trained in it. Yeah. So uh, that's just some things on software. Now, you mentioned knowing what you want. I think that applies not just to software, but it applies to the bigger picture. And I was talking to somebody this week who was curious about, you know, hey, I think I want a website. What do you guys do? Is that something that, and it was a great conversation. I was glad to help, but it came back. They, they asked a question, you know, should I start with my marketing or should I start with getting my financials right? And I said, really what you should be starting with is your vision <laughs> because that's going to help you determine what kind of financials you need and what kind of marketing you should be going after. But know what you want, know what the vision is of your company. And in this particular case for the individual, it's hard because they're not actually the owner of the business. They're the son of the owner. And there's also two other sons in the business. So there's probably a lot of different directions that people feel entitled to and that they want something different, but you have to get on the same page as a core group of owners or, you know, what is that? Stakeholders, I guess. Uh, you have to get in a, a really groove of Big what the vision is. Big difference between owner and stakeholder. 
stakeholder. There is, but I mean, I'm just saying, like, eventually those three sons are probably going right. to be owners. I mean, they're yeah. essentially they are truly stakeholders. Yeah, truly stakeholders. Um, but anyways, I, I think you have to know that vision, whether it's for software, yeah. whether it's for marketing, whether it's for finance. It helps so much to know exactly what you want and where you're going, because otherwise you're making a decision just based on feel, right. and then. <laughs> Well, we, you're making decisions on how you feel today. Today, exactly. Right. Feelings and it might change. be a really pretty day, and you just collected some receivables, and you've got some cash in the bank. You're feeling optimistic. Or you could have the flu. Your wife or your husband could be mad yeah. at you. Uh, you could be wondering how you're going to make payroll, and you feel completely different. Yeah, absolutely. But we, we, have, we talk about that a lot. But people should go. But it's easy to say. It's the first thing I do with every client is what's your vision I try not to use that word vision anymore. You say, because, what do you want? So, yeah, what do you want? And, you know, I've, I've said before that the answer I get back most is, what do you mean? <laughs> and I said, I mean, what do you want? And they say, business or personal? I said, business, personal, I don't care. What do you want? And people can't tell you. And it's hard because when you read about visions, people tend to think they've got to be some lofty worth changing <laughs> thing, you know. No, I mean, we'll talk about a motivating vision at some point, but what do you really want? Yeah, I would like a business where I didn't have to come to work and do everything myself. I'd like to concentrate on this area. I would like to grow mm -hmm. or not grow. I'd like to find somebody who can help me so I can. Anyway, what what do you want? And uh, it just really one acronym I use because it came from a client was cooler than S. Cooler than S? Yeah, I'm not using the word because this is. Oh, cooler than, okay, gotcha. Yeah. We're explicit we, we, because of you already, Martin, so don't worry about it. <laughs> have I say something explicit sometimes? <laughs> yes, you have. Okay. Cooler than shit. There you go. Yeah, a client said, man, it'd be cooler than shit. I go, okay, CTS. Just what would be CTS? And write that down. It yeah. would be cooler than shit if, write it down. And don't, the thing, don't eliminate something that's CTS, because, but they would never do that. And you don't put it down on the list. Put it down on the list. Yeah. You write, write it out and you begin to get a direction Absolutely. of where you want to go. And you can modify that. And then it's so over. much easier to make decisions because then you're like, well, can I actually do that? What's going to help me yeah. reach the vision? And I think this gets to an, an, another point that I want to talk to you about is just standing firm on your bids because oh. that's going to help you reach your vision, right? I mean, it, if you have that vision, it allows you to be a little bit more firm and things like that. But I know you've got a story. Well, that that's something else. Uh, these are all things that have come up this week, either yeah. for you or me yeah, and, or exactly. and. But I have a client who transformed his business from one, more of a service business into mm -hmm. a, a new construction business uh, by design because decided the service business isn't where we wanted to be. Yeah. And so we, he knows margins. He got good software, by the way. Mm -hmm. Helped him figure all that and started, and he got a lot of leads and he started putting out all these bids. Mm -hmm. And we went three months where money was running out, people finishing up his service jobs. It was one of those kind of deals like, man, I got to get paid by this guy before I can finish there. I mean, it was, it was not good. And, and I said, toe the line, man, toe the line. And he did. It took about three months, but he's sitting with about a half million, and a little less than a half million dollars worth of work for his company. That's equivalent to last year's revenue, right? right. Almost, no, it's half last year's revenue but to go over the winter and it's construction. So winter work is nice to have. And he stuck with it. He, he didn't lower his prices. He didn't 
kowtow and give yeah those bids away. are out there he's waiting to hear yeah. back and he's thinking and it took pure raw courage to yep. do that yeah and i mean so much doubt sets in when you don't hear right. back but you, you send out the bid and then you're like man i i bid too high right I, you know i overpriced that oh i lost one i said have you lost any yeah i lost one why price yeah you know um that's that's the default excuse always always um but there, there's another example I'm thinking of. Um, it's a little older. I didn't talk to him about this this week, but I have a client in Canada who had hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of work bid, and he'd gone two weeks and he hadn't been awarded any of the contracts. And we were talking, I think, on a Tuesday, maybe a Wednesday. He said, man, he said, I think, my, you know, we've been spending all this time getting his margins up, right? Yeah. And he said, man, I think my prices are too high. And I said, well, why? Why did you say that? You know, do you have any evidence? He said, well, this one person said I was higher than this than this mm -hmm. other bid. So, well, he says, I think I need to lower my price. I go, let's just stay steady, steady hand here. And the following Saturday, I think I did a short on this, but the following Saturday, four of the six bids that he had outstanding mm -hmm. came in and purchased. There you go. And he didn't just save his margins. The important thing oh, was man. by staying fast, if he had lowered his bids and called those people back, it would have cemented the idea in his head that prices is, is the determining factor. Mm -hmm. And he didn't do that. And as a result, he realizes it wasn't price. It was just these guys' schedules. Yeah. They just didn't get back to him. And when they finally did, they, yeah, where do we sign? Here's a deposit. Let's get going. Yep. And I had, I had the same week that that happened, I had another client come in who had said, who had been losing some uh, or who had one of his employees, his salesman, say, well, we're, we're too high. <laughs> and there are lots of really good salesmen in the world, but salesmen will default to price too. Mm -hmm. If you have a group of salesmen, have they ever won a bid because of price, they won't raise their hand. But if you ever ask them, if, have you ever lost a bid because of price, they'll all have their hands up. Yeah, we were too high, right? So that's the easy default thing. That's yeah. the tool they like to have. Well, this guy came in and he said, man, I'm going to lose this salesman. And he says we're too high and he's giving me all these examples of <laughs> why. And so he's talking about maybe we need to reduce our pricing. I said, well, hang on a minute. You've been selling, right? Yeah. I said, you've got five other salespeople. They've been selling, right? Yeah. I said, so what, what are we talking about here? We're talking about a guy who is insecure and can't yeah. sell and defaults to, to price finds examples, and now he wants you to change your whole pricing structure at a cost, uh, an immense cost. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he didn't do it. And that salesman left and went somewhere else. And I have no idea how he's doing. But anyway, we, we dodged some big bullets there. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's staying that course. And, and basically, kind of looking back, all the way back to the idea of hostage-taking software, pricing and sticking with it, what we're talking about is a plan. Just know what you want, yeah, and and figure out how you can get there. If my you, my uh, my dad uh, was pilot in World War II, and he taught flying when I was a kid. He told me a story I'll never forget. Uh, this is before GPS. I mean, it was even before Omni Range, if if people know what that is. But it was primitive navigation, right? You took out a map <laughs> in the airport. What's a map? A map. Yeah, that's a paper representation of geography that people have heard of. Google Google does it without the paper. Yeah. But anyway, he said, what, what you would do is unfold a map 
and draw lines on that. Literally, you drew a pencil line from, you know, uh, Norman to St. Louis and then St. Louis to Chicago or, I mean, wherever you're going, you drew lines and that was your course. And then you mapped out headings and you corrected for different things and you took off and you had that map in your, in your lap, literally. Mm -hmm. And as you're going along, you're looking at, oh, there's, you know, Goaty Bow, Oklahoma. I'm supposed <laughs> to be right over it. And, and there's, you know, Branson, Missouri. Yep. I'm on course. Yeah. And you just looking and, uh, then the clouds come in below. You can't see. Yeah. And uh, all of a sudden, you're, man, you know, you start doubting. And then you see a hole in a cloud and you see a river and you go, well, I don't know what river that is. And pretty soon doubt starts coming in. And so you start, man, maybe I need to turn. Maybe I missed it. So I turn left, go back, see where I was. <laughs> and I, I go, well, I've overshot it now. I've got to turn right and go back to where, you know, wait, wait, wait. And all that doubt comes in, you start mm -hmm. acting on that doubt, and pretty soon you are completely and truly lost. And my dad's point was stick to the plan you made, the course that you set, when you're sitting in the calm of the airport. When you mapped it out, have confidence, have faith. That's what my client did for three months before selling all these uh, projects. Yeah. He stuck to the course. Stuck and the, the doubt plan. was there, the churning stomach was there, the anxiety, his wife asking him, you know, what, you know, people say, well, have you sold one? Have you sold one? Have you? No, me asking him, have you sold one? Mm -hmm. I mean, I try, I, my point is stick to the course, but I've always liked that metaphor mm -hmm. of uh, the pilot would follow the course you set when yeah. you were calm and collected and stick to it. And you're going to, the clouds are going to break and you're going to be right over St. Louis. And I know there's people, out, I, I mean, I feel this a lot, but when am I going to be calm and collected? I've got so much going on. I'm just running through it. And that's the point. You if you don't come. have the plan, yeah. you're starting from chaos. Right. You have to back out of it. And sometimes when you don't stick to your bids, for example, and you do lower the price, what ends up happening is you create more chaos for yourself right. because you're short staffed and you can't and afford to have money. And, and you're you short didn't money. make enough money. And yeah. And it's, and it's a vicious cycle. So it's, it's, I mean, the overarching thing of the first three topics there really is, is planning. And it's, yeah. it's an overarching thing of everything. And the vision is a plan. It's kind of the, goal yeah. for the plan it's not telling you how to get there but man if you're going to go to st louis you got to know my vision and my goal is st louis because yeah. that's where i draw the line and that's where i set the course yeah and if you're just even a, a degree off it makes a huge yeah. difference too yeah. right so um i think the last thing that i wanted to talk about is really the growth you know a lot of things we're talking about a lot of people are focused on growing you know getting more jobs in, getting more uh, employees to do those jobs sometimes, um, going and getting a better bottom line at the end of the day. But sometimes there, we see these uh, these shiny object, right? We see this, oh, there's this opportunity, there's this massive job. And it's that massive job that can kill you. <laughs> and just what's the value in growing sustainably versus growing life and death <laughs> yeah we're talking uh i think about a situation that came up this week where we have a mutual client who is doing really well mm -hmm. but he's suffering the consequences of doing really poorly mm -hmm. for 10 years before the last couple of years those consequences show up in the form of debt right so the profits he's making he's having to spend to pay off debt we haven't figured a way to wiggle out of that i mean it, we just you could do bankruptcy or something he's not going to do that and we don't have to, but yeah. 
Um, he has built a company, built reputations, built systems and processes. He's doing really, really well. And he's, as a consequence of his reputation, his ability, he's getting some really, really big bids, offers. And he got one, well, I heard about it yesterday. I don't know when it actually came in. And it's really tempting, man. It's the big score. Matter of fact, he's got two or three of those hanging out there that big projects rather than one-offs. Uh, yeah. Well, they're, yeah, they're one-offs, but I mean, they're manageable size, you know, $20,000 jobs instead of a $200,000 job. Right. And man, so his partner, who happens to be his brother, came and said, man, we got to do that. It's just labor. And I said, just, we can hire the labor. It's not just labor. Well, there's hiring challenges right now anyways. I mean, if, if you could hire the guys, it's not yeah. just labor. No. I mean, it's accounts receivable. It's sucking up your capacity. These are a little bit more distant. You're dealing with, um, his work is mostly commercial, but this is full commercial, meaning architects, general contractors, and everything yeah. other than just builders and who are, is also commercial, but it's, but you know the guy. Yeah. And there are processes set up. Everybody knows you got to pay in two weeks, all that. Now you're dealing with somebody who, well, we pay on blank, right? Oh, and here's a con. Anyway, all this massive stuff. And, and we just decided yesterday, look, as long as we have that burden of debt and we don't have sufficient cash reserves, we're not going to do that. And again, that boils back to a plan. It's kind of a negative plan. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're not going to do something until the affirmative plan, until we have this amount of cash and this amount of capacity to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a really... Uh, a, we have an episode on that, Grow With No. Right, Growing With No. Grow With yeah. No. You, you have to match it. It also brings up something that's related. I have a, another client who's seeking to grow, and this client has, let's just say what they want to do is buy a new facility because that's what they want to do. Yeah. Well, they may, they have made so far this year about 10 times net profit what they made two years ago, mm -hmm. net profit. <laughs> okay. Uh, and more than, I don't really remember last year, but way more than double. So they're making a lot of money. Right. They're having to buy assets and things which are kind of consuming the cash, but they're making a lot of money. Growth prospects look good. They're, they're really doing well. And so we thought, hey, no problem. They, they have a lot of resources too. They have a lot of assets, valuable assets uh, that aren't cash. Other than cash, they have some valuable assets. Well, we said it should be no problem, right? And I understand cash flow and how banks, or didn't fully understand, but I understand how banks look at cash flow and when they decide to lend you money. And mm -hmm. it's, your profitability needs to be a certain multiple of your total debt service. So right. if you owe $1,000 a month, uh, in payments for equipment, $10,000 a month, you need to make, let's say, $15,000 a month steadily for profit. Right. And we're certainly doing that. Uh, that's a debt servicing ratio, it's called. And if you don't know what that is and you're ever going to borrow money, that's my point. Find out what that is. Call me. <laughs> uh, seriously, no charge. Just call me. I'll tell you. <laughs> and we'll, we'll use your uh, financials and show you how it works. But we thought, no problem. Man, it's massive growth. Uh, great profitability, all this. Well, when we, we've been to three banks, we're going to a fourth, they all said no. So we got a group call, because I'm supposed to be a sophisticated business coach. Mm -hmm. go, man, I want to know what, what the hell you're looking at that you said no. And what they did was they took the debt service from this year and applied it over the last three years. 
Oh, wow. said, well, we didn't know that three years ago. Well, that's how we do it. Wow. Well, that's really, I mean, we've done a lot of things and our debt service is a lot more this year because of these assets we bought, our profitability is way up there, vastly higher than it was two years ago. They go, well, that's how we do it. So it's like, wow, they didn't make enough profit. Well, they made exactly enough profit just to pay the debt. Yeah. And anyway, so a plan is to understand what banks want. Yeah. And the bank that we're talking to right now is we went, I know them pretty well. So we went in and said, look, I don't want to come in and plunk something down to have your guys in the back room say no. I want to sit with you and say, how can we engineer this so that it looks like what you want so that you'll do the deal? And so that's what we're in. So yeah. that's another thing that came up uh, this week. Interesting life and being a marketing guy and a business coach is there's a lot more that came there's up, but those are things that are, that are, if a listener is thinking, yeah, that applies to me. Well, that's another benefit of uh, maybe listening to us is that these problems that you think are overwhelming you are unique to you and your oh, experience. They're not. Has them. You, matter of fact, I, you'd be hard pressed. I'd challenge you to come up with a unique problem. I'll find you five people with the same issue, <laughs> right? Exactly. So, so that, you know, self-flagellation of, uh, yeah. man, I, I'm a screw up. I can't. Not everybody feels that way, but at mm -hmm. times I think everybody feels that way. These are common problems, and there are, there are answers to all of them. I mean, it's easy, no. but there are answers. It, some, and that's a good point. I don't think any of these are necessarily easy, and some of them require extreme diligence and focus and knowledge from other people right. probably to help you out. Um, and they take time, too. Yeah. And that's something that I think people can get frustrated with is that it takes time. But all good things take time. Um, but even though they take time, you need to start making incremental, small right. things and deliver them fast. Get Recognize them up. and do something about it. Do something about it Don't fast. just say, man, that's bugging me. You get help, call somebody. Yep. And not everything costs money to call somebody. Uh, not at all. Matter of fact, if, you, if you're living right, in mm -hmm. my opinion, sometimes your competitors are your best resource. Absolutely. And if you help them and they help you and share information and, and uh, you think, well, I'd never do that. Well, okay. But I have people who do, yeah. and they it's, benefit it's greatly a symbiotic from it. thing. Yeah. And I want to bring it, it sounds like we're kind of wrapping up here, but I had a, a little bit unrelated thing come up this week that that's really important. We've talked about books before, and it's always going to come up. But roller coaster profits, again, mm -hmm. I am so, I don't want to say tired of, but I am so frustrated by even clients that I work with who haven't got it done yet, that we pull up a profit and loss for last month. Or, and we say, and I look at it, and it says something good or something bad. You know, <laughs> hey, big profit. Big loss. Mo big loss, <laughs> modest profit, whatever. And then I say, have you got any work that you haven't invoiced yet? Oh, yeah, that you've done. Yeah, it's not in here yet. Yeah. Okay. Have you got any uh, bills for materials or or you got a payroll that's not in these books yet, or or you buy a bunch of plywood or a bunch of concrete or something and you haven't entered. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So if you got any inventory sitting out there that you bought up last month and it's still sitting here. Oh, yeah. You got any credit card entries that you haven't entered yet. Oh, yeah, but we paid some of them. And I said, so in other words, this we don't know anything. <laughs> anything at all. What are we looking at here? And what I do is in an effort to try to get a feel for how, I mean, you can always do the hee-haw test, you know, how's it feel? You know, well, I'm, 
says I'm making a profit, but man, I, you know, I, I'm struggling all the time. Or, hey, I, I mean, you know, I've had money to pay the bills, you know? Yeah. You know, so there's that. But we'll also sit and say, well, about how much do you have to build? Well, there's this, this, and this. And so that's 100000 Yeah. Yeah, okay. So I write that on a piece of paper. About how many bills haven't you? Well, we haven't paid the concrete bill. We, you got that one invoice from our lumber supplier, you know. So we write that down. Then we write, what do you, what do you usually run on credit cards? Well, we don't enter them, you know, consistently, but we usually pay it's 10000 a month that there wouldn't be in there yet. Say, so, okay. So then I do that math. I go, well, it looks like maybe you made this. But we, get, we don't know. You don't know. And, You're just guessing. And so there's a process that I use. I mean, the true process is to carry your inventory, manage it properly, mm -hmm. uh, perpetual inventory where things go in. When you sell it, you take it out. Yeah. Uh, that when you get deposits on jobs, instead of putting them in income, which is not your money yet, it's not sales yet, it's a deposit. And instead of calling it a liability and not having it on your income statement, people just put it in the bank, call it an invoice, right? I mean, I see all these things. Well, the proper way to do that is call it a liability. It's not, it doesn't show up on your profit loss statement. But somebody has to be relatively sophisticated, not impossibly, but relatively, relatively sophisticated and responsible to manage your books so you can get accurate um, financial statements. Mm -hmm. And you know... What I think about that, you don't know what your margins are. You don't know anything without accurate financial statements. And so there's a process that I call a WIP schedule that um, I can put a link to. Or, or again, it's, it's a little too much just to describe what it is. But it's, a, it's not back of the envelope. It's better than that. But it's a, it's a way that's not fully proper accounting. But it's not illegal or cheating or anything. But it's, it's a way to estimate what whether you're ahead, sure. you know, whether you got more deposits than you got payments that you haven't put in. Anyway, it's a way to, to do that so that you can look at your profit loss and say it says this and then go over to this WIP schedule and it says, well, add this. Or it might say subtract this because you got a $100,000 deposit from somebody, put it in sales, and none of that money's yours, so you got to subtract that. Right. So, But roller coaster profits are, I'm almost going to say everybody. Yeah, I mean, that I talk to. There are sophisticated companies out there with good good accounts. There are companies that don't have inventory and receivables, and you know they're just cash, and they they don't. It's not bad. But if you're suffering from that roller coaster profits, uh, and again I'm bringing it up because it came up again this week. Sure. Of course I could bring it every, every week because it comes up every week. You need to get control of that so that you can understand: Am I did I make money last month? Did my margins go up last month or down last month? You know, I'm bidding with a 40% margin or a 35% margin, but what's really showing up on my profit and loss statement? Yeah, it, you said this before, but it's a scorecard. Yeah. And if you don't know score, how do yeah. you know if you're winning? Yeah, and you don't know what to do. Uh, yeah. Shooting threes you or you stall until the buzzer. You yeah, know? so good. I was watching uh, the, have you seen, I've mentioned this already, but Man in the Arena with Tom Brady. I have not, no. but you told me about that. Yeah, they, they played in the Super Bowl in 2004 when they won it back to back as the second mm -hmm. year. They're playing against the Eagles. Yeah, Tom, with that name again, Tom? What? <laughs> Anyways, they're playing the Super Bowl against the Eagles, Donovan McNabb. Um, and it was the fourth quarter. Eagles were down, but they were just like taking 30 seconds each, like in between each play, letting the clock run down. And the Patriots like, what's going on? You know? Yeah. And they ended up getting it within a field goal, but there was no time left. And they had the ball, but they just didn't have enough time. And right. 
it like it was one of the longest it was bizarre to all the players they were like i can't believe this is happening and it's the same thing that's going on like you're running your business and you're making a profit maybe we're we're bringing in money we're we have expenses but we don't really know we're just letting the clock run yeah. you know we're just we're yeah. just letting it run and just gonna keep going with these roller coaster profits right anyways we've covered a lot today martin um started with talking about being hostage and then talking about some software stuff. Um, we talked about a vision and standing firm on your bids. Uh, really comes down to, to knowing your vision and having a plan for it. Right. Right. Um, and then understanding what banks want. We talked about banks and roller coaster growing. profits, growing, yeah. lots of different things. Uh, if there's people out there listening and you know you've got questions, we'd love to hear from you. We've had more people reach out recently, which is great to see and helps us have things to talk about as well. Uh, but if there's any topics you want covered, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you and, and discuss things, maybe even have you on the podcast. But we've crossed 100 episodes, Martin. Oh, really? Pretty big deal. Boy, it doesn't seem like any more than 200. <laughs> and uh, yeah, if uh, we're, we're doing well on YouTube, I think we're getting a lot more videos up there. And uh, if you'll follow us on social media and share us with your your peers, your colleagues, friends, and even your family. We know that your your daughters. Yeah, maybe your maybe your spouse will understand why you're so frustrated all the time. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, I want to say one last thing, just in closing here. We talk about a lot of things, and we do that a lot. I think we'll do this more of mm -hmm. all the things that come up. Uh, it can be overwhelming. We'll go back to your one thing. That concept we've talked about in the past is that there's one thing more important than anything else. You, you started with vision. Uh, I'm, you know, me, I'm always kind of about the books. Might be sales, it might be doing something about the person who's holding you hostage, but you can't listen to all these things, make a list and try to do them all. No, you can't. There's something that's more important than anything else, and you need to work on that thing until it's no longer the short stave in the barrel. And yeah. then go work on the next thing that will have the most impact. And don't procrastinate it. Don't make it something Just like this. One. Don't make this one thing that you choose a, a really big deal that it's right. going to take two years to figure out. It can be done faster. Go and focus singularly on it and get yeah. it done. In Ship a chunk that you can do. In a chunk that you can do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks, Martin. Yes, sir. See you Thank with more you. topics next week. Okay. Yeah, maybe there'll be some more, huh? <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.